If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and this is not in the, the presentation, so don't worry about it. John chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 43, no, 44. John chapter 1, verse 44, we're going to look at just six verses. This is a beautiful picture of the type of intimacy that we're talking about. Jesus, in this passage, Jesus is going and he is choosing his disciples. And he comes and he finds Philip. And Philip has a friend named Nathaniel. And when Philip meets Jesus as Messiah, he naturally wants, and goes, wants to go and tell Nathaniel that he's found the one that everyone has been looking for. And so we pick up in verse 43. It says, the next day he purposed, this is Jesus, purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. Say, found Nathanael. Found Nathanael, or this is also, uh, he, he went by another name, Bartholomew, uh, in Scripture. Found Nathanael or Bartholomew and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. I love that. Come Come and see. You'll find out real quick what, what what you will find in Jesus. He said, Come and see. In verse 47, now this is where it gets interesting. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him. So Nathanael is coming to see Jesus. Jesus sees Nathanael coming. And I love what Jesus says of Nathanael. He says, uh, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I mean, you know what deceit is. Deceit is craftiness. Deceit is deception. Uh, deceit is guile. It's, it's trickery. Um, in other words, when Jesus says, Behold an is- a true Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, he's saying, uh, what you see in Nathaniel is what you get. There's no fake in Nathaniel. And, and naturally, this catches Nathaniel off guard. And we see that in the next passage. We see this in verse uh, 48. Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? You don't know me. How do you know me, Jesus? You, you don't know me. And Jesus says, yeah, I do know you. And we see that in this next passage. He, he says, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip even called you, he said, when you were under The fig tree, I saw you. Now, let me break that down for a moment. Because Nathaniel, Jesus wasn't creeping on Nathaniel. Jesus wasn't spying on Nathaniel. The fig tree has a lot of symbolism in Israel. It speaks of prosperity. It speaks of of, um, just the fact that God always had his hand 
on Israel and he was going to cause them to prosper and cause them to bloom no matter what season Israel's in. But there's another reality to what Jesus was saying here when he said, before Philip even called you, I found you or I saw you under the fig tree. The fig tree, if you don't know this, the fig tree was where young men would go on their own alone to study the scripture. Fig tree naturally has these uh, branches that kind of hang over. You remember in the book of Jonah, Jonah saddles up underneath a tree. How many of you have ever seen those old pictures or seen those old movies where people are reading a book under a tree? Nathaniel was under this fig tree, which was the common spot that young men would study the Torah, study the law, study the prophets. And when Jesus says, before Philip even called you, I saw you under the fig tree, that word saw has multiple meanings, and one of them is experience. So when Jesus says, before Philip even called you, I experienced you under the fig tree. Where did, what, what, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the fact that here's this man who has no deception in him. He's not fake. He's not a trickster. And I know that because I have communed with him in the secret place where no one else is. He found him there because he was with him. And, and, and Nathaniel didn't even know it. He was, what he was saying was this. You remember last week where we talked about the Pharisees? Who's, or two weeks ago where we talked about the Pharisees and the Pharisees studied the word because they thought in the word alone they had eternal life. But he said, the word testifies of me. Here's Nathaniel with the Lord and not even knowing it. And then Jesus says, the reason why I know there's no deception in you is because I've been listening to you where no one else is. You have no guy, you have no trickery, you have no deception in you. I know you more than you think that I know you. Because in those times where you were under the fig tree, all alone, studying the scripture, I knew you and I experienced you there. That's what intimacy looks like. Intimacy is not about public displays of affection without consistency behind closed doors. If I dote on my wife in public, I hug her, I kiss her, I, I, I have all these acts of expression in front of everybody, but the moment we walk through the threshold of my house, all of that is gone. How many of you know she would question my love for her? Because intimacy in public without intimacy consistently demonstrated in private equals hypocrisy. That's why, Nathaniel, uh, that's why Jesus said of Nathaniel, there's no deception in you because when you were under the fig tree studying the scriptures, nobody manipulated you to do that. Nobody forced you to do that. You weren't putting on a show for anybody. It was just you and you alone with God. That is what we're talking about when we're talking about intimacy. We're not manufacturing intimacy because there's a pressure on me as a Christian to perform for somebody else. Intimacy comes from this heart in you that says, whether anybody sees it or not, God, I just want your heart. I just want you. Can you go after God, not just in failure, in crisis, and in stress, or even in success? 
Because the moment things get comfortable, we tend to draw back. That's why Jesus said of the rich young ruler, it is difficult for the wealthy or the rich to inherit eternal life. Because the moment things get comfortable, we tend to dial back the passion and say, God, I don't need you as much anymore. Where is your hunger even in success? Do you even want that intimacy? See, so many times we can go to God because we want him to fix a problem, but we don't want him. God, remove the pain from my life. Remove the stress on me, the responsibility on me. But really all that is is wanting his hand, not his face. And that's why Jesus said of Nathaniel, there's no deception in you. You don't want my hand. Listen, let me tell you something. Do you re- let me remind you, they weren't reading the New Testament. They were re- really reading the Pentateuch, the books of the law. I don't know if I would have loved the word of God without the New Testament. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, it requires no deception to be in you, no external motivation for you to be faithful in the private place reading Leviticus. If (laughs) If you read Leviticus without any external motivation, you love God. And that's why Jesus said what he said in Nathaniel. There's no deception in you. There's no guile in you because you are spending time in the word of God all for yourself. And there's no motivation. It's not like you, you got to open up worship on a Sunday morning. It's not, you don't have to preach on a, on a Sunday. It's because you want me. You want to know me. Do you want to know God? That's what intimacy is all about. It's not about this public display. It's not about putting on a show for people. God, God, time and time again, we see in the New Testament, Jesus just really cutting to the heart of people's motivation about why they wanted to go to him. We see that in Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21 through 23. Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this passage of Scripture that is so familiar with so many people who have read the Word of God. Matthew 7, 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's Lordship. Not just salvation. That's Lordship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Now notice the list. Because everything on this list is something that's public. Something that's done in the midst of people for other people's benefits. That's, that's, that's not the point. But listen to this list. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and perform many miracles? And then he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Man, that's a scary scripture. You don't, listen, you don't, you don't read that, you don't put that on Twitter to encourage people. That's a scary scripture. But let me, let me take it a step further. You know that word new there? 
is gnosko. It's a Greek word. And you know what it is? It's literally an idiom in Jewish culture to describe sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. What? You're like, oh, he said sex on a Sunday. <laughs> Going to edit that on the sermon before we put down. What was Jesus saying? He's saying you can do all those things because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. But if I don't know you in an intimate way. He said, depart from me, I never knew you intimately. I never knew you the way a man and a woman in a marriage covenant know each other. I, let me just take it a step further. Jesus was saying, I want to know you naked and unashamed. Amen. Intimacy is initiated through laying yourself bare before another person. That's what Jesus is saying. You can prophesy, you can speak in tongues, you can perform miracles, you can do all that stuff, but that doesn't mean I know you in an intimate way. God wants to know us intimately. He wants us to be the Johns that lay on his chest in Gethsemane. He wants us to draw near. Intimacy is all about proximity. You can't be intimate with someone and be far away from them. Intimacy is about closeness. It's about constantly chasing or pursuing this, this closeness with someone else. Jesus designed us for closeness. Because when we go back to Genesis, we see that the Garden of Eden, we had the whole world created, but he creates a garden within all of it, and then he puts people there because he wanted them close. He designed us for intimacy. You will never be satisfied in your relationship with Jesus Christ with a distance between you and God. It will never satisfy you. There's got to be this closeness. And so Jesus here is saying that, that he wants us to be intimate with him, not just in public displays of affection, but in, in the secret place where no one is around and it's just us and him. We see that again in Matthew chapter 6. Look at Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Man, I love just flipping the scripture. I love catching that sound on the podcast. Pastor Dwight will be doing it all day. Turn with Matthew chapter 6. Look at all these examples that Jesus is, is once again in the Sermon on the Mount speaking about the importance of intimacy when no one else is around. Beware of, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Go down to verse 4. What goes on to giving. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But when you're giving, give in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. Down to verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand on the street corners, uh, so that they may be seen. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room. When you get a revelation from the Lord, that doesn't mean you have to post it on Facebook so everybody sees it. But when you receive it, ask the Father whether it's for you or for everybody. Here's the problem. 
The problem is we have so much access to exposing ourselves to everybody that we don't even know what intimacy is anymore. And you know what's amazing about that? Is this is the sad thing. Intimacy that is done in public is what we call professional intimacy. And professional intimacy has a name. It's called prostitution. So if your whole relationship with God is public for everyone to see, are you really intimate with the Lord? Jesus goes on to prayer. He goes on to say in in verse 16 through 18, fasting, what was the point? The point is that Jesus is addressing the hypocrisy that can happen in all of us. Anytime that acts of intimacy in our relationship with God are only done in public and not the overflow of what is done in private, God calls that hypocritical. See, if you love him so much, then that has to translate out of the public arena into a private one-on-one time with God. To be a person after God's heart equals intimacy with God when no one else is around. And the thing that I love about David is that David was a man of intimacy with God alone. Now, it may not appear that way, but this is how I know, and I wrote it in the midweek, David was not writing all the Psalms for you to read. David was not living his life with the hope. (laughs) David did not have a historian coming around like, watch what I'm about to do. Write this down because they're going to read this in a couple years. (laughs) There was a purity to David's life where he was doing what he was doing for him and him, for God and God alone. And we have the privilege of being able to read it. But it wasn't for us. It was because David wanted to be so close to the Father, so close to God, so intimately connected with God. He was a man of true intimacy. And so let's take a look at David's life to discover what intimacy really looks like. True intimacy, number one, is wholehearted trust in someone. True intimacy is... It's wholehearted trust. You, you do understand, at least I hope you understand, because in America, uh, America doesn't know what intimacy is. Intimacy is more than sex. Right. Actually, it's way more than just that. Yeah. <laughs> intimacy is wholehearted trust in someone. Intimacy cannot exist without trust, because if you are unwilling to trust someone, you'll never allow them to get close enough for you to have an intimate relationship with them. Intimacy cannot exist without trust. And here's the thing about trust. I got good news for you. You have to invest trust in someone before you can determine whether or not they are trustworthy. You have to actually be vulnerable enough to trust for intimacy to exist. It is a risk. It's a risk. But intimacy cannot exist without trust. So what that tells us is trust isn't trust unless it's tested. See, so many of us, to to protect ourselves from hurt, 
We do not allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to sow trust in someone because we don't want to be hurt. But that, what that causes is that causes us to never really have intimate relationships with people because you have to sow trust in order to have intimacy. That's why so many of us walk around just guarded. We don't want to be hurt. But guess what? You have to let the guard down to have intimacy. It cannot exist without you allowing the trust to be tested. David was known by God as a person after his heart because he demonstrated intimacy through great trust. David trusted God in his battle with Goliath. How many of you are going to show up at the battlefield and be like, he's going to take care of me? But let me, let me give you an example of how David was able to get there. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. David is with Saul and they're having a conversation. And, and to be honest... Saul doesn't understand how David is so pumped to go up against Goliath. He's like, he, he's like kind of like, do you, did, you, did you size him up yet? Like there's this eagerness in David to get into it. But how did David get to the point where he was willing to fight Goliath? Look at what he says to Saul in verse 37. He says, and David said to him, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion... And from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the, uh, from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to him, go, and may the Lord be with you. Like, good luck. What, how did David come to that conclusion? Because he invested trust in God against the lion. He invested trust in God against the bear. And what he found in investing trust in God in the lion and the bear was that God was trustworthy enough to trust him against Goliath. That's why he got to that conclusion. You know what intimacy with God is? Intimacy is the record of your history with God. You can trust him in your future because of his trustworthiness in what he's already done. And so David is recalling the moments where he sowed trust in God and God was found trustworthy. And he's like, Goliath, that's not going to be a problem. I see what you see, but do you know what I know? Intimacy is impossible without trust. He trusted him against Goliath. He trusted him in running. We see this pattern throughout all of David's life. He trusted him when he was running from Saul. He trusted him when he was leading the nation of Israel. He trusted him when he was leaving Jerusalem because Absalom was trying to take over the throne. Time and time again. Now that does not mean that David wasn't afraid. That doesn't mean that David didn't have his doubts. But can I tell you, are you a person when you're going through times where you're anxious and you're worried and you don't know what's going to happen, you're uncertain about the future, how often do you just say, God, I trust you? I, I, I don't know what this is going to look like, but God, I trust you. I, do you. Do you even say that? See, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm driving down the road, the radio's not on, I'm just like, I'm worried. I'm overwhelmed in my mind. And the only thing that I can say is, God, I trust you. I don't know what this is going to look like. 
God, I trust you. I want to encourage you to just begin to declare that out loud. God, I trust you. Can I tell you something? God is so passionately in love with you, he can read your thoughts, but he wants to hear your voice. Yeah, he can read when you're saying, I trust you. Will you, will you say it? God, I trust you. David was a man of trust. Your intimacy with God can go as, only as far as you are willing to trust him in your life. Time and time, again, we see that in David's life, and we see it in Psalms chapter one or 11, verse 1 and 2. This is in the Passion Translation. It says, Lord, don't you hear what my well-meaning friends keep saying to me? <laughs> Run away while you can. It goes on to say, fly away like a bird to hide in the mountains for safety, for your enemies have prepared a trap for you. This is what I love about, God, about David being a person after God's heart, is he was so close to Jesus, or so close to God, that even when, when we're talking about um, being rational, see, his friends were like, go, the, the odds are stacked up against you. Rationally and logically, it makes sense for you to leave. But what does David say here, going down? He says, they plan, for your enemies have prepared a trap for you. They plan to destroy you with their slander and deceitful lives. Can't you see them hiding in their place of darkness and shadows? They're saying to David, you're blind. How do you not see this written on the wall that they're out to get you? But don't they know, Lord, that I have made you my only hiding place? Don't they know that I always trust in you? This is what David was about. Second thing about what true intimacy looks like is this. True intimacy is proven through time spent with someone. True intimacy can only exist in the relationships where you spend the most time. We see this in relational books that time or love is spelled T-I-M-E. You cannot have intimacy with God without any time. It takes time. I'm going to steal what my wife said yesterday when I was preaching the sermon to her. She said this. She said intimacy is not instantaneous. Inst int intimacy takes time. Intimacy is supposed to grow. And listen to me, you'll never find the time to be with God. You have to make it. You have to make the time. Stay up a half hour later. Get up an er a half hour earlier. I don't want to live my life on my deathbed thinking I just did not make time for the Lord. You have to make it. Because by default, the world will want to fill your schedule. You have to, and can I tell you, I just throw a phone out the window. My God, how much time is stolen on social media and reading the news. Good Lord, you say you don't have time, but when you get that notification on your phone about how many hours you were spent on social media, you had time, but you were sucked into all of that. And you were almost brainwashed and numb to not even realize how much time was going by. And you know what? Let's all agree that reading something on Facebook is not an equal substitute to hearing God speak to you. Right. Amen. 
It's just not. You need to hear God. You need to have God speak to you all alone, and that set your whole day up. Because I'm telling you, if you don't hear God speak, if you don't spend time with God, you are going to be like a pinball in a pinball machine throughout your whole day. And you're going to lay down and feel like there will be days where you're like, God, I didn't get anything done. And you're more stressed, you're, you're more uh, stressed out, you're more anxious because you didn't get the things done that you actually wanted peace about. But if you would get on your knees before Jesus and he would speak a word to you, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on you. If you would just get a word from the Lord at the beginning of the day, that would set the course of peace for the whole day. Instead of a pithy quote you, you screenshot on Facebook and send to somebody. <laughs> I'm joking. We see David spending massive amounts of time with God. Psalms chapter 27. I love this passage of scripture. If I can find Psalms in my Bible. <laughs> Psalms chapter 27. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Hear, O Lord, when, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me. This is verse 7 and answer me. Verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Psalm 63, verse 1 through 5. Another example. This is David's cry in the wilderness. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary, I remember the song, the old hymn. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. <laughs> I can't sing, but it's fine. Because it's not for you, it's for him. Don't step, don't encroach on my intimate connection with the Lord. He goes on in verse 2, Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary How to, to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Intimacy comes with time. Number three, intimacy is willful dependence on someone. Willful dependence. Listen, we are all self-reliant. It is in our DNA as Americans to manifest our destiny. It is intrinsically in us to go conquer, go build, go grow, all of that. It's, we're self-reliant. It's just part of our DNA, part of our cultural makeup. But willful dependence means that you lay down your self-reliance, not because you're incapable of doing something, but you make the choice that you don't want to do it by yourself. Intimacy grows. Intimacy is found in relationships where you say, I could do this on my own, but I would rather do it with you. And that's what we see in David's life. See, it means that you're willing to wait for God's endorsement or agreement before you do something big. Let me tell you something. This is just in my experience with God. I, there, I, I, just in my relationship with the Lord, 
we can become just over-analytical and we can go become almost obsessive. We're like, I know that God cares about everything in my life. I know that he probably has something he wants to speak to me in, in my life. But can I tell you that I've just grown that there's been times where I've asked God, God, what do you think about this? What do you, what do you want to know about this? And, or what decision am I supposed to make? And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I love when God says, I don't care what you choose. It is inconsequential to your relationship with, with me. But can I tell you, I sense his satisfaction in the response that I was dependent enough, choosing to be dependent enough, to even con consult him or inquire of him about something he didn't really even care about. Have you ever been there? Yes. Where you've asked God, God, what am I supposed to do here? And he's like, I don't care, pick one. Right. He doesn't care. But see, that's what dependence is all about. It's not that I'm incapable of doing something, but I want to be dependent. I want, in, out of my intimacy, to choose to be dependent upon God. It's what Matt, Moses did. When, when, Moses, when God called Moses to enter into uh, Egypt, deliver them, and then send them out and bring them into the promised land, it wasn't that he was incapable, but there was something in Moses that wanted to be dependent to the point where he would go to the Lord and he'd say, I will not go there unless you go with me. That's what it means to be intimate, intimate with the Lord. Willful dependence. Jesus, or, uh, David says this, talks about this in Psalm 63.5. We read this before. This is in the Good News translation. I depend on God alone. I put my hope in Him. He alone protects me um, and saves me. He is my defender and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. Turn, uh, actually, don't, I won't even do this. Uh, but just write this down. Psalms 42, verse 1 and 2. Psalms 42, 1 and 2. It's a common scripture, another hymn. As the deer pants for water. David was saying, my life, I depend on you like my next drink. Number four, true intimacy is honest communication. Intimacy is not just a sexual thing. It's also a mental and emotional connection. I talked about this earlier. Intimacy is the reality that you choose to lay yourself bare before another person. God can read your mind, but he wants to hear you talk. How much, how much do you talk about with God? What do you talk about? Thank God there are moments in our lives where we can be so overwhelmed that we can just pray in the Spirit and the Spirit intercedes on our behalf because we can be so overwhelmed. But how much are you talking to God about? See, this is, this is the thing. As my intimacy grows with Allison in my marriage, I just want to talk to her about everything. I just do. You know, it's like I always stiff arm the kids when I come home. You know, you're like, Daddy, where's your mom? Just give me five minutes. Just want to talk. And, and, and I've found over the course, because remember, intimacy takes time. I've found over the course of my relationship with Allison that I can sense in my life my intimacy for her grows because when, I was, when we were first married, I didn't talk to her about as much. I just didn't. It wasn't that I, it wasn't that I didn't want to. It was just that was just the way that I was just living life. I, now I'm just like, she probably gets just <laughs> annoyed 
Because I'm like, can we talk real quick? She's like, my God, leave me alone. Allison scores really high on the compassion gifts test. <laughs> but how much do you talk to God about? How honest, out of your mouth are you with God? You know what I love about David? If David was mad at God, he told him. If David was angry at God, he told him. If David was worried, he told him. If David was, was fearful, he told him. If David was sad, he told him. If he was depressed, he told him. Everything, we see it all through the Psalms. There was nothing that David withheld from God in communicating honestly with him. I love that. You cannot be intimate with someone else or with God unless you allow yourself to be vulnerable, not only by investing trust, but by willingly laying your soul bare before someone else. Look at Psalms 51. I'm not going to go there. Psalms 51. Full disclosure by David. The psalm that he wrote after he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. Number five, intimacy is found in displays of affection. We know that. We express, express our affection for God not only through obedience to his word, but through our expressions of worship and our love for his word. I love when you look at that uh, scripture where Michael, David's wife, was angry or jealous at David when he danced before the ark when they brought it back into Jerusalem. And he said, remember, we were talking about um, humbling yourself, intentionally lowering yourself. In the New American Standard, when uh, David responds to Michael when she was like, what were you doing out there? He says, I will, even, I will become even more lowly esteemed than this. What was he saying? He was saying, this private thing that I'm doing is not for show. I, I, I'm not doing this for you. This is actually the overflow of my relationship and my love for God. You just happen to, to see it in a public format. Worship, do you know one of the meanings for worship means to kiss? In the Hebrew, it literally means to kiss. Your worship to the Lord is such a, uh, such a picture of affection for God that one of its meanings in the Hebrew is to kiss. David wrote 75 psalms. David moved the ark into Jerusalem. We know this. He wanted the presence of God close. He loved to worship. He loved God's word. Once again, we, we, we see this in, in, I think, Psalms where he says, I delight in your books of, books of the law. If you love Leviticus, if you love De Deuteronomy, you're on a whole nother level. I'm not even there yet. <laughs> I'm not even there yet. But he loved the books of the law. And number six, last one. I love this. True intimacy is found in your sensitivity to hurting or offending someone. Sensitivity to hurting or offending someone. You can know how intimately connected you are to someone based upon the sensitivity you have to offending or hurting them. And we see that not only before a transgression, but after a transgression. Um, <clears throat> where there is a desire for intimacy, there will be an increased desire for sensitivity because your heart will not want to do anything that will hurt someone. We see this in David's life. Psalms 139. Look at this. Psalms 139. 
verse 23 and 24. Oh, man, I love this passage. This is a, for me, this is like a life scripture. I, 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 can I tell you, this is one that will protect you from offending. Pro- protect you from transgression. It, it will. Because the Bible says, and I think Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? The Holy Spirit can. And so when you go before God, and this is something when you're in the presence of God that you pray not after an offense, but to protect you from making one, you will find that the Lord will reveal the hidden things in your heart that you need to repent from, that you need to guard, that you need to know so that you don't entrap yourself later. Look at this scripture. Search my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Love that. Such a protection to your soul to get before the Lord and say, God, there are motivations in me that I'm not even aware of. Will you search my heart? And pinpoint things, even in my deception, that I may not even see. That can be stumbling blocks or can be places that I could entrap myself later. And I'm telling you, he will speak to you. And he will show you those things. So this is a picture of David's heart before transgression. But going on, we see in uh, Psalms 51, David's heart to restore When you are intimate with someone and you happen to offend that intimate connection, some of the proof of your desire to restore intimacy is the measures you take for reconciliation. And we see that in David's life in Psalms 51. We see that after he uh, sinned with Bathsheba. But I want to take another step and I want you to go to 2 Samuel 24 and we're going to close here. 2 Samuel 24, this is what I'm talking about when we talk about intimacy, the sensitivity to hurting the other person. You know, in a relationship, with, in a marriage, when you have an intimacy, intimate connection with your wife or your husband, uh, you, may be say, you may say things like me all the time that are stupid, that aren't intent to harm, but you know you're sensitive when the person doesn't get hurt but there's a check in your heart like, man, that could have hurt. And you go to the person, you say, I, look, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I wasn't actually even trying to do that. It wasn't my intent. Th- that's that sensitivity, that check that you get in your heart when you're intimately connected to per- someone. You're cautious. I don't want to cross a line that would hurt or offend that person. Look at this in 2 Samuel chapter 24. This is at a time where David... Uh, he starts to allow pride to seep into his heart. And so what he does is he asks for a census to be taken over uh, the country of Israel. And the purpose of the census is not so that they have every person numbered just to be numbered. The purpose of the census is David wants to know what is the number of people that I'm king over. And so we see this 
in this passage in verse 1. Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and it incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. And Joab actually, Joab says, hey, that's probably not a good idea. He goes on, it goes on to say that David says, no, I want you to go and I want you to number everyone. But notice, here's David saying, mm, that doesn't feel right. In verse 10, he said, it says, now David's heart was troubled, uh, troubled him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. David was governed by a heart that at some point knew that he had offended the Lord to the point where he said, ooh, that doesn't feel right. How many of you have ever been in that place in a relationship or in your relationship with God? Listen, you need, to make sh you need to understand that that is the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit inside of you trying to warn you something's off. Don't take heed to that. I love 1 John that says, even when your heart deceives you, even when your heart fails you, God is greater than your heart. And I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit inside of you wants to be as intimately connected with God as you, you do. And so he will have protective measures he'll put in place where he will put checks on your heart for you to acknowledge and recognize something's off here. I need to make sure this is right. And I would hope that that would drive you to be uh, before the Lord so that you would do Psalms 139. God, search my heart, know my ways that I may be pleasing to you. Identify and pinpoint the thing that is off in my heart because I don't want to gravely offend you. This is what intimacy looks like. To be a person after God's own heart is to be a person not just with public displays, displays of affection, but behind closed doors, one-on-one -on -one with God. That is what you truly treasure. That's where you show God. God, this is not for show for other people. This is where I want you. And can I tell you, do you, want, do you go to God only in times of crisis? Until he's fixed your issue. When was the last time that you went to God and said, I am coming without any request but to worship you. The thing I love about David is we see throughout the legacy of his life, yes, he had, yes, he had those times where he was in desperate... Most of us in this room, we cannot say that, that our lives were at stake at some point. David lived perpetually, almost perpetually with that. But we also see times where David just loved to worship the Lord. Love to be intimate with the Lord. To be a person after God's heart equals intimacy with God. Will you stand with me? I do understand that maybe... This was as much a marriage message as it was a relationship with God message. I do understand that. But when we think about these areas of intimacy, is there any one of those that was identified that you, you sense in your heart you're lacking intimacy with God? I want to say them again. Maybe we have a list of them. Yeah, intimacy, wholehearted trust. How, how well do you trust them? How well do you trust him right now, especially in the uncertainty of everything that's going on? Right. How well do you trust the Lord? Can you just let go of, 
I love what Kim uh, Walker said. We went to a Jesus Culture Conference in 2011, and she said, the more, she said, you, you come to a place of maturity in relationship with Jesus where you, you stop asking for questions all the time, and then you just let go and say, okay, God, as long as I have you, that's enough. Do you trust him? Only when you get the answers to your questions. Or do you trust him in the uncertainty? How much time? How much time do you not find for God, but do you make for him? Number three, how dependent? How willing are you to lay down your self-reliance? To say, God, I could do this without you, but I would rather do it with you. How honest are you? And I've been... I've drove down the road, this is a confession, I've drove down the road and I have yelled at God. And I don't think he's upset at that. Because he wants raw, unfiltered relationships with his people. Now he could strike me dead, but he's got grace. But how honest are you with God? Worship and love of God's word and last sensitivity hurting or offending the person. If any of those where you're like, God, I'm lacking. Just, just put your hands up and we'll just pray. Jesus, we, you see our hearts and we want to be a people of intimacy. God, we don't just want to be believers, but we want to be intimate knowers that know your heart, to, that are after your heart, God. And so I just pray, Father, that, that your Holy Spirit would, set, would set alarm clocks in our spirit to remind us to draw near. Father, your word says when we draw near to you, you draw near to us, God. Your word says that you, that we are, that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, God. I pray that, God, even as you said this morning in Jeremiah, when you said in Jeremiah 29, you reminded me of the scripture, that you, that we will find you when we seek you with all of our heart. And God, I pray that we would find you in the secret place and that our intimate connection with you would grow. God, we would be, as David said, our hearts and your hearts are intertwined together. And Father, that David would not be the only one that you found, that you would find in Redeemer's Church a people after your heart. In Jesus' name. We love you. Saturday, 24-hour prayer. And Sunday, we're going to celebrate it. We love you. We'll see you next week.